Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. and happy Tuesday. Very excited to have you with us today. We've got a great show for you, like starting right out of the gate with Marjorie Taylor Greene, the congresswoman from Georgia, major player on all of the big issues in Congress today, whether it's impeachment of Joe Biden, impeachment of Mayorkas, the budget, the January 6th investigation. She's in the middle of almost everything, including Anthony Fauci. She'll be on the committee that interviews Anthony Fauci in January We're going to get a full briefing from her on just what's on tap, what Congress is doing, and what it may not be doing that it should be doing. I think Congresswoman Green is increasingly frustrated that even under Mike Johnson, there isn't a whole lot of action, a lot more talk rather than a whole lot of action. And I think that that's one of the topics we'll spend a lot of time on today. In the second part of the podcast today, we've got a great interview with someone who I think is really on the front edge of so much of the important do no harm conversations when it comes to America's health and well-being. Many U.S. medical schools offer scholarships and programs that illegally discriminate based on sex, gender, identity, race, ethnicity, color, and national origins. That's concerning a lot of people. The Supreme Court ruling this summer obviously had a profound effect. Dr. Stanley Goldfarb of the Do No Harm organization is going to join with us to talk about discrimination in the higher ed, particularly medical schools, a very important conversation that doesn't get really enough attention. In fact, hardly any attention in the media today. We're really excited about both of those. Now, there were a lot of major developments today in the impeachment inquiry involving the Biden family. Uh, I'm going to get you a couple of them. The most important came out yesterday after the podcast was wrapped for the day. So it happened late in the day. James Comer, chairman of the House Oversight Committee, guy that we have on this show often. You heard from him, I think, on Saturday, as I recall. He released bank records showing that Joe Biden received payments from Hunter Biden's Owasco PC, basically his corporate law firm account back in 2017 or 18. It was after the president was out of office as vice president before he became president. Why is this significant? Well, first, Joe Biden said he never got any money from his son's company. Secondly, the explanation that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden's lawyers gave is that the money was because Joe Biden paid for his son's truck for some time, his personal car, his personal truck, and then Hunter Biden began reimbursing him. Well, there's one interesting thing. If this was a personal vehicle like you and I have, but Hunter Biden took the money out of his corporate law firm, there is potential tax implications for that transaction. Very much like what we heard uh, a couple of weeks ago where Joe Biden takes money out of a legal account, account that he had set aside for legal work for his lawyers, 
lends it to his brother, James Biden, and then the money comes back to Joe Biden in his personal account. And you heard James Comer say, hey, there's some tax issues with that. Experts today saying that this transaction also could raise some tax implications for both President Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. Now, another important part of this conversation is that these bank records, the money trail, where did Hunter Biden get the money to pay $1,380 from Mizawasco to Joe Biden back in September 2018? It's in the same account that got that big money from the China loan, the $5 million China loan. It goes from China, the energy company, CEFC, it's one of its outlets, to a company called Hudson West 3. And Hudson West 3 sends a whole bunch of that money to Owasco. And then from that account, Owasco, the money is sent into Joe Biden's account eventually. Another piece of evidence, just like James Biden repaying his brother from an account that got money from the same China loan proceeds. Was this a loan or was it a gift? Because as we said last week, the banks who looked at the trail of transactions around the loan, well, they had some very serious reservations about what was going on. And so that is the latest on that front. On another front, because I think this is just as important, the inability of federal prosecutors to charge Hunter Biden for years, despite 170 SARS reports raising concerns about money laundering and taxes, substantial evidence of tax evasion, according to the IRS whistleblowers. Today, Jim Jordan and his House Judiciary Committee, alongside of the House Oversight Committee and the Ways and Means Committee released a joint report saying that the Biden Justice Department has a problem with its commitment to impartial justice, that in fact, Hunter Biden received preferential treatment, diversions, and other things that other potential tax and gun defendants would not have gotten. And also reiterating something that we broke first, that U.S. Attorney David Weiss did not have the ultimate authority to bring the tax cases like some had claimed to Congress. So that story is also up on the site and getting a lot of attention today. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Margie Taylor Green's going to be here. Buckle your seatbelt. She's always an important and turbulent ride when it comes to calling out those in Washington who aren't doing the people's business. Marjorie Taylor Green does it as audaciously as anyone. I'm really excited to have her on the show. Also, before we go to commercial break, I want to remind you guys, we have so many extraordinary partners in Just the News. They make our journalism possible. They make this podcast possible. They make our television show, Just the News, No Noise on Real America's Voice possible. Well, one of those incredible sponsors is AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. They're fighting every day to pass common sense policies for American seniors. They're working to preserve Social Security and Medicare, pass health care transparency, secure election integrity, something we all care about, and protect our children. They're the alternative to the AARP, which a lot of people think has drifted to the left, has become too liberal to represent mainstream Americans. Well, if you feel like you want an advocate in Washington for you, you want to join a family of people of like-minded, common-sense Americans, go to amac.us slash justnews. One more time, amac, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash justnews, and you can sign up for a one, a three, or a five-year membership. Match me on my five-year membership. It's less than a dollar a month. It's a great bargain and something that will benefit you for years to come. amac.us slash just News. Go join today and tell them you are grateful for AMAC's support of Just the News, John Solomon, and of course, Just the News, No Noise, a television show. All right, when we come back, Marjorie Taylor Green up next. Folks, if you get your wallet stolen or your cell phone or your car, we know what it is. It's old-fashioned theft. It's crime. We know it. Criminals now have a new way to steal our most valuable asset, our homes. 
Older Americans are most vulnerable to these types of thefts, and that's because they more often own their homes outright. An 88-year-old Florida woman recently discovered that scammers forged her signature, created a fake deed to her home, and then took her property. Those who buy a property from a deed theft scammer often become victims as well. What can you do to protect yourself? It's simple. My good friends at Home Title Lock provide the premier detection technology to protect your home and its title. The instant they detect an activity or something suspicious, they mobilize to help shut it down. We won't know a thief took us off our title until it's too late. That's why Title Lock jumps into action right away. The titles to all our homes are easily found online. A criminal or renter, even a family member, can simply forge your signature on a home sale form. Then he or she refiles as the new owner, and bam, your home is not in your name, and all of a sudden, debts are being taken out against it. That's why Home Title Lock is my choice. Find out for free when you use my code JUSTNEWS at signup. You'll get a free comprehensive scan of your home's title and 30 days of legendary home title lock protection free. So go to hometitlelock.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS at hometitlelock.com. Go there today. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook uh, uh, vegetable dinners, and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning, and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly, I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down, and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you your 100% money back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick. House Nutrition, and, of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. As promised, a very big guest with a big book. The new book just came out over the Thanksgiving holidays, MTG. I highly recommend that you get a copy and read it because it tells you what really goes on in Congress, not what they want you to see, the real story of what goes behind the scenes in Congress and why so little gets done. Joining us right now, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. Congresswoman, great to have you back on the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on the success of the book. It is really, really roaring. People are talking about it. I think you wrinkled a few neckties, and I think that's a good thing because I think at the end of the day, people hear a lot of rhetoric, but they need to know what goes on behind the scenes in Congress, which is, by the way, a lot of nothing. What's been the reaction to the book so far? 
Well, people are loving it. They are buying the book, and sales are fantastic. A lot of the sales are happening uh, through the website, mtgbook.com, which I'm really excited about. And I just spent the weekend going all over Florida uh, signing books and, and speaking to people, and which I love. I like to get out with regular Americans as much as possible and get out of this city because Washington, D.C. doesn't represent the American people. It represents itself, uh, continuing to serve itself and foreign countries all over the world. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. It's an amazing thing. Now, the book, I think, captures the inaction and inertia in Congress so well. And there seems like it's going on even right now. New speaker, new promises. But at the end of the day, we're uh, December 5th and there hasn't been any more appropriations bills coming through. Tell us what's going on behind the scenes and also the frustration you have that they can't get the job done that they promised the American people. Well, it's more of kicking the can down the road. Uh, we'll be up against the deadline right before we know it. And we'll have not gotten our most important job done, and that is making a budget uh, for the federal government. There's a lot of fights back and forth. You know, the, the farm bill is extremely important. Um, that big funding bill is being argued uh, between uh, different factions in our Republican conference on spending levels. Um, and some of the things in the bill, and they're both at a, you know, both sides are at a standstill right now. So we're not able to move forward with that. Um, um, the Department of Justice funding bill, I'm an absolute no uh, right now, right. unless anything changes and we can stop the political persecution going on that's coming from the Department of Justice. But really the big problem is, is, um, uh, we we aren't doing the work we should be doing, John, yeah. and that's getting people in a room and hammering out the details and and passing our appropriation bills. And so it's more it's more failure. Um, it's more of a calendar that sets us up to fail, and it's more of a schedule that is setting us up to fail while we're not passing appropriation bills. And we'll be coming up on those two deadlines: one towards the end of January, and one at the beginning of February. And what makes me sick is our new speaker is talking about passing a one-year CR to continue the Green New Deal, continue abortion funding, continue trans funding uh, for the military, uh, continue all the things that we want to stop and change. And that'll just continue Nancy Pelosi's budget that serves the Biden administration. Yeah, there's a lot of people really concerned. The assembly line is essentially empty right now. There's just no bills coming down there. And I think a lot of people, and I even saw this in the Hill newspaper today, think what they'll end up doing is just falling back to the deal that Kevin McCarthy made in May. If that happens, if after all we've been through with the change of speakership, all the votes, all the drama, if we end up with the same deal we had in May, what will that message will that send to the American people? Well, I think that what that sends is nothing changes in Washington. And that's what I've been saying all along. And, you know, eight Republicans joined the Democrats and threw out Kevin McCarthy because they said he crossed red lines. And I've been arguing with those eight Republicans saying, if you're going to make red lines in the sand, then you should hold those red lines for any speaker going forward. If those are the red lines, they have to stay for everyone. Otherwise, nothing changes. Um, but that's not really what that was about. It was personal grievances against Kevin McCarthy. Now we have a new speaker, Mike Johnson, and the honeymoon period is worn off. And he's already passed the clean CR that has two parts to it. And he's already talking about doing another uh, one-year 
CR and and not mentioning what what that would involve. I'll tell you right now, John. If I was if I was making the decisions, I would pass an extremely limited funding bill that would just keep the government open to do the very basics, you know, like fund TSA so airplanes could fly right. in the country, right. fund border patrol, law enforcement, et cetera. But I would it would be such a limited funding bill. It'd be one that our entire conference could support. Send it over to the Senate and tell and, and play a game of chicken with Chuck Schumer. Um, Chuck Schumer has all of our appropriation bills. We've already passed seven of them. Right. The Senate hasn't picked up one of them. So the pressure should not be on House Republicans. We can fund the government in a very limited capacity. Uh, the, all the pressure should be on the Senate and the White House. And we should be able to, to stand firm and, and say we are not wavering on this. Yes, it's so important. And Americans voted for change, but thus far it's been status quo for so much of the spending addictions that occur in Washington. And you're one of the few people that doesn't let up. You keep that pressure on. And I think Americans appreciate that pressure. Another place where there has been some success in Congress is getting a little bit more to the truth about the Biden family enterprise. Joe Biden for five years called anyone who dares say, hey, I benefited from my son's businesses, a conspiracy theorist, except he was benefiting. The documents yesterday show a direct payment from one of Hunter Biden's companies to Joe Biden. Your reaction to the growing body of proof that is out there that Joe Biden was involved in benefiting from Hunter Biden's foreign business deals? Well, I serve on the Oversight Committee and have been very involved in the impeachment inquiry, uh, but I'm also one of the few Republicans that have been screaming to impeach Biden uh, ever since his first day of office when I introduced articles of impeachment on him. Um, my my comments and, and my gut feeling and my reaction to every single massive amount of evidence that we continue to unveil and we, we present uh, to the American people, but we also present to other Republicans in, co- in our Congress is that, well, when are we going to do something? And as I spoke to thousands of people this past weekend uh, on my book tour, um, that's exactly what they said. They They aren't. They're almost to the point where don't show us anything else. When are you going to impeach him? Because the American people believe he's guilty. Our problem is Republicans in Congress uh, are the ones still sitting on the fence, and some of them are refusing to impeach altogether. Uh, so the problem isn't the American people. They're, they don't need the proof anymore. Right. It's, it's Republicans in Congress. Do you think by early next year there will be at least one formal impeachment proceeding, either with the work you've done to get the Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, impeached or President Biden. Well, there will actually be one, not an impeachment inquiry, but an actual impeachment. Do you think we'll get one? Yes. they prom- So I had introduced my uh, articles of impeachment yeah. in a privilege resolution form a second time. And when I did that, there, there were people falling apart, uh, you know, in here <laughs> because eight Republicans had voted with the Democrats and they heard from their constituents. Matter of fact, they heard from Republicans all over the country. Well, they were losing their minds and, you know, making a clean path, wearing it out, going to the speaker's office over the impending vote that they were going to have to take again. And um, Speaker Johnson came to me uh, and Chairman Mark Green from the Homeland came to me and they they promised me that we will be impeaching Secretary Marcus very soon, uh, starting that up sometime after the first of the year. Um, and it will be happening on the Homeland Committee, which I serve on, 
So I will be very involved in that process and I'll see it through all the way to the end. If we don't do it and they backtrack on their promise, I'll go right back to enter in introducing them as privilege resolutions once again and forcing a floor vote. Because at this point, I am so sick and tired of nothing but talk, 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 which is a bunch of hot air and BS. I am all about action. Um, but I'm also prepared to start using privilege resolutions for the other articles of impeachment I have, because I, I, I can't tell you how many people are at their wits end over Republicans doing nothing um, absolutely nothing but furthering the Biden administration's agenda um, and, and not holding anyone accountable. Yeah, that frustration is palpable. And we see it every time you're out there talking because you are trying to move the football down the field. And it just seems like so many people grab the ball on the sidelines and don't let it advance. It's it's a remarkable dynamic. And I think you know, people voted for change last November. And right now they don't see a whole lot of change, obviously some more investigations, but not the sort of change I think they were voting for. And I think that's why your arguments are cutting through with the American people. They want change. You want change. We got to get the rest of Washington to change. I want to go back to Joe Biden for a second, because I think there's a pattern emerging. I just want to ask from the work you've done, because you have such great visibility into this. There's a moment where Joe Biden has loan proceeds and his brother's paying him back for what he says is a loan, but the proceeds come out of a legal account. Uh, so Joe Biden gives the money to James Biden out of a lawyer's account, but then it comes back into Hunter Biden or to Joe Biden's personal account. So it leaves a legal billing account, but when it's repaid, it comes back into Joe Biden's personal account. Yesterday, there's a discussion of this payment for a truck is what the um, Hunter Biden lawyers are saying. If the truck is a personal truck for Hunter Biden, but the payment back to Joe Biden comes from his law firm, Owasco, a corporation, are you beginning to see President Biden involved in some version of tax issues here? He absolutely should be. Um, and I'd also like to point out that Owasco, uh, which is Hunter Biden's LLC that was supposed to represent his uh, law practice, is also the same account that he was paying prostitutes and, and human trafficking, uh, bringing these, these women across state lines for sex and filming videos with them and downloading pornographic videos of women he trafficked across state lines, downloading those onto amateur uh, porn sites. And, and so that's the same LLC he was paying his father. We have direct evidence of checks. Hunter Biden paid to his father from Owasco, um, and it, that money came directly from China. We've linked it to the CCP. Um, Joe Biden claims that this was loan repayment. Everybody knows what this is. It is literally the most simplest form of money laundering, and uh, it's all because he's selling out his father's influence. The argument that the Democrats have is that, well, he wasn't in office at the time. It doesn't matter. Joe Biden has been in office in Washington, D.C., longer than I've been alive. And I was born in 1974. That man uh, had just finished being vice president of the United States for eight years and a senator before that. Uh, he is probably one of the most powerful Rolodexes in the world with contacts and, and people that he knows. So whether he was in office or out of office, his influence uh, is big. His influence has far reaches and his power is, is tremendous. Um, and, and so they can't hide behind that whatsoever. Yes, there's major tax implications, John, and the Ways and Means Committee will be investigating that. Um, we need to see Joe Biden's tax returns. 
we need to understand fully, did he report this income? Because it is income, it's not loan repayment. And, and we need to look into that because if this was any everyday American, they'd be locked up in jail right now. Um, they, they wouldn't be out walking free, making excuses and pretending they were, were paying the family back with loan repayments. Yeah, uh, that's so, so very important. No doubt about it. The tax issues, I think, are going to become more front and center. And it looks like Joe Biden may be involved in it. And we know Hunter has a tax problem already, but Joe Biden seems to be moving money in a way that could have facilitated some of these tax issues. It's going to be very interesting to watch how it plays out. I want to turn to the J6 defendants. You are one of the few people that speak out for them every day, their families, the disproportionate punishments that they're getting. Is there any progress anywhere in the legal system right now where you see some hope, maybe these cases going to the Supreme Court to try to restore some balance? Because you see these disparities, you point them out on Twitter all the time. You see someone convicted in the BLM riots as getting a very minor offense, and then someone that just walked past the Capitol gets put into prison. I know you're fighting hard to get equal justice. Any, Any glimmer of hope? No, there's no glimmer of hope. This is an issue that has me almost beside myself. Um, Again, every time I go speak to any group of people outside of Washington, whether it's in my district, whether no matter what state it's in, uh, it's all what this is. They overwhelmingly ask me about January 6th. And usually at every event, there will be several um, either January 6ers themselves or family members who have someone that is locked up in jail, uh, basically rotting away as a pretrial defendant and um it's heartbreaking and i it's hard it's hard for me i can't even take the stories anymore right now on average there is still being one a day arrested by the department of justice one a day and we are nearly three years after the fact and um you know two men just pled guilty to arson at the wendy's in atlanta after the rayshard brooks shooting um, they, they got a $500 fine and, and that's it. No prison time, right? None whatsoever. No, no, no prison time. And there was a little girl named Sequoia Turner, a little black girl that was killed at that Wendy's, uh, a, a gun shot in the back seat of her mother's car. There were other people killed at that Wendy's. Um, and the only, you know, we know the people that were killed on January 6th, uh, Roseanne Boylan and, and Ashley Babbitt and a few other people. These were, these were actual protesters that were killed. Um, but these were innocent people that were killed at the Wendy's due to their due to these BLM riots and violence um, and destruction, and they're not rotting away in jail. And the it, it, you know we we were calling a two tier justice system. I'm going to say right now, there's no justice in America. It's only political persecution because the scales of justice have tipped so hard to the left, they've literally fallen off. And I, I'm sick about it. I, I really was so angry this morning. I went in our conference meeting this morning at nine o'clock and went to the mics and, and demanded to know from our speaker, Mike Johnson, when are we going to set up a committee and actually investigate and subpoena the former January 6th committee members, Nancy Pelosi and federal agencies. And, and I want to be on that committee and I want to chair that committee. And I was demanding it. And I, and I told every one of my Republican colleagues, I said, you know, I'm I'm telling you the truth because you hear it when you go home too, and they none of them could deny it because every Republican district in this country, people want to know what what are we going to do to stop it? And the disgusting truth is, John, this town right here, Republicans in Congress are doing nothing, absolutely nothing 
to stop the Department of Justice from politically persecuting Americans that supported Trump on January 6th and walked through open doors or maybe didn't even walk inside the Capitol at all. Yeah, that's the thing. Some people are being convicted of crimes, never went in the Capitol whatsoever. It's a head scratcher. I want to turn to one other favorite subject, because I think uh, Americans are catching up to the truth on this man, though it took a long time. Dr. Anthony Fauci is going to appear before the select subcommittee on the coronavirus pandemic. You're a member of that committee. I guess it's going to occur in January. You have a lot of questions, I'm sure, for Dr. Fauci. What's most important for the American people to learn about him? Well, I think we all know pretty much everything there is to know from Dr. Fauci. He's come before Senate hearing after Senate hearing. We know he's a compulsive liar. We know that uh, he he was he's unbelievably power hungry. Um, and we know that that COVID was basically like a, a real life lab experiment uh, playing out in front of his eyes where he got to pull the strings, um, lying about mask effectiveness, lying about COVID vaccines. Um, I'm particularly interested in the millions of dollars that he made um, through his position uh, and, and his uh, positions and, and appointments and how he was connected with these vaccine companies. Um, so I'm pretty much interested in him making a lot of money on that and, and also calling the shots when it came to locking down tyrannical lockdowns in America um, uh, by the advice that he gave and the things that he said publicly on the news nearly every single day. Uh, I think I think Dr. Fauci should be behind bars. Um, I think that we should be taking away any ounce of retirement money he has. Um, uh, he, he doesn't deserve what he's gotten from the American people's hard-earned tax dollars because his he, he abused his power. He was nothing but an unelected bureaucrat and uh, COVID was one of the worst things to ever happen in our country. Yeah, and you look at him, he had a super salary, right, for a government official, one of the largest salaries, more than a president, if I remember correctly. And then he had these royalties coming in at the same time. And all of that work, all of that compensation he got, we didn't get very much right about the pandemic. Do you see anyone in the government today that's adjusting pandemic strategy so that, God forbid, we ever hit another one? We do things differently than the way we mishandled the, the 2020 pandemic. Well, that's what our COVID select committee is is tasked with doing, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. Um, one of the biggest failures coming from the committee right now, I serve on the committee, and I've asked from the beginning, when can we investigate the vaccines? Because there's over a million reports on the VAERS system of vaccine injuries and deaths related to COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, I serve with a lot of doctors on the committee that, have, that, that constantly argue with me and are not interested in investigating the vaccines. Um, so I've been holding those hearings on my own uh, because it's such an important issue to the American people. This crosses political party lines. And there's a lot of uh, things happening. Babies now are, are uh, the CDC is recommending to give the COVID-19 vaccines to children and babies, um, even though there is tremendous evidence of myocarditis, even in infants. Um, there's also uh, tremendous effects on women's menstrual cycles. Um, but our COVID committee is not investigating any of that. And I think it's imperative that we do it. Um, but there's supposed, there, there's supposed to be a report coming out from our committee, um, but mainly the chairman is the only one that seems to be directing the, the report and what the outcome will be. 
you have a lot of frustration with your own party right now. Is there a way to fix it so that people that want action like you, because you, you, at the end of the day, you don't care about the rhetoric. You want, you want things to move down the field and have action for the American people. What is the way to correct the Republican Party so it isn't so much talk and it's a lot more action? The Republican Party needs to rec- recognize who the Democrat Party is. You know, um, a lot, we have a lot of Republicans here in Washington that absolutely love Ronald Reagan, and I do too, but we're not facing the same Democrat Party that Ronald Reagan faced. But Republicans in Washington act as if we are. We are facing a Democrat Party that's a communist party, and this is a Democrat Party that is absolutely destroying our country. And I want to see Republicans do a good job. I, I would be very much for my colleagues, if they would actually wake up and open their eyes to the threat that we face every single day, and that's our colleagues across the aisle who absolutely hate us. They would put us in jail if they could. They would put us in re-education camps if they could. They would put President Trump in jail for the rest of his life until he's dead and his family and take away all their assets and anybody that has truly supported him and worked for him. And that's who the Democrat Party is. And I'm, I'm disgusted with Republicans that, that either refuse to acknowledge all of that or, or just completely fail every single day because they serve the lobbyists and the special interests in order to fill their campaign accounts to get reelected every two years. Um, yeah, right now, John, I'm, I'm purely disgusted with my own conference, and I'm sick and tired of all the talk and no action. I think it's pitiful. One thing I know people know about your time in Congress, you've only been there a few years, but you're, you're focused on getting things done, not getting things said. And I think your constituents know what that looks like. Uh, it'll be good to see the rest of the country have their lawmakers do the same thing. But Congresswoman, it's a great honor to always have you on, always to get great straight talk updates. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for letting me do it. Thanks, John. All right. We'll talk real soon. Thank you, Congresswoman. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to be talking about potential illegal discrimination in U.S. medical schools. Dr. Stanley Goldfarb from the Do No Harm group is going to be with us right after these messages. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. 
You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As you know, this past summer, a series of landmark rulings by the Supreme Court, United States Supreme Court, ingrained clearly that affirmative action could not be imposed in college universities and campuses across the country. And it has led already to a race by some schools to try to repackage that sort of affirmative action as something else to try to get around the rulings, as well as an honest debate about what's right and what's wrong. How can you create diversity in medical schools without imposing discrimination? A lot of people don't realize that in America's medical schools, which are some of the most elite and toughest to get into and produce some of our most brilliant doctors, there are quite a few discriminatory practices that disenfranchise students who are applying. Our next guest is on the forefront of that battle, trying to create common sense solutions to what has become oftentimes common sense lacking admission policies. Joining me right now, Dr. Stanley Goldfarb. He's the chairman of Do No Harm Medicine. Doctor, good to have you on the show. Well, it's great to be with you. Thanks so much. I think a lot of people are going to be shocked by what we're about to talk about, because I don't think a lot of people understand the dynamics of these medical schools, the mentality. But before we get to that, tell us a little bit about DoNoHarmMedicine.org, because it's such an important organization doing important work. Uh, a lot of people might not have heard of it before. Sure. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, Do No Harm um, was begun in April of 2022, and our, our goal is to eliminate discriminatory practices in healthcare. And our second mission is to do something about so-called gender-affirming care of children. We, we're not, we don't have any comments about adults who do anything about their gender but, but children. So those are the two issues. And with respect to the issue that you've raised, John, about medical schools, one of, our, one of our points is to make sure that there's no discriminatory practices in the admission to medical school, uh, as well as the way patients are treated. And there's, there's unfortunately been a fairly long and, and, and recent history of attempts at discriminatory practices in both those arenas uh, with respect to, particularly with respect to race, which we think can really undermine American health care. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. And I think most people think, well, we go to a hospital, we go to a doctor, we go to a medical school, and uh, the practitioners don't see race. They just simply see a patient and try to treat their symptoms. But in fact, there is a significant ideological twist that has been injected into the U.S. medicine system for quite some time. Tell us a little bit about how it became ingrained in some of its manifestations in, in the everyday work of medicine. Sure. Well, I think there's been a push for diversity in, in healthcare, which has been mostly driven, frankly, by people of the left who simply believe in diversity for diversity's sake. And of course, the idea is that um, minority individuals, particularly black individuals, were denied access to health to medical school for, for many years. And that's been true of, of multiple groups, except the problem 
in medicine is that it's not just a question of student and school, which it is for undergraduates. It's a question of student, school, and patient. And in healthcare, it's really important that the people who get to be doctors, who get that privilege of being physicians, really are the, the, the most qualified and the most capable individuals. You know, I spent 13 years as associate dean for curriculum at Penn's Medical School at the Perlman School of Medicine. So I'm really quite familiar with this issue. And when you see individuals who are brought in simply on the basis of their skin color, giving um, blacks or Latinos or whoever the opportunity to be doctors because there's been some past discriminatory practices, the problem is the patients are the ones who are going to suffer if these individuals are not fully qualified. And if you start choosing people on the basis of race, you're going to uh, neglect the real important issue, which is academic performance and, and, and sort of capability of being good physicians. And, and I would just say that there's a, an idea out there that black patients need black doctors, and that's become the rationale for this. In my organization, Do No Harm, and a couple of its uh, uh, individuals, uh, Ian Kingsbury and Jay Green, who are social science researchers, I've looked at this issue, and I've looked at this issue also. I wrote a book about this called Take Two Aspirins and and, and uh, Call Me by My Pronouns. Which <laughs> a little flip, That's a but, good book. I but, like that. But, but I did address this issue, and in fact, it sort of demeans black people when you really think about it. I mean, black patients want the very best doctors, and the literature really supports that. There's no evidence that, that there are better outcomes if black patients have black doctors. And even in terms of communication skills, it turns out that that's not really relevant. So the whole logic for diversity is we're going to improve the health outcomes of black patients, but there's no evidence that that's true. And on the other hand, if you start allowing people to enter medical school on the basis of skin color as a, as a major factor, you're going to you know reduce the quality. And you know the audience should know that there are there are 44,000 people every year that apply to medical school and 22,000 places available. So if someone gets in, someone else is not going to get into medical school and not have the opportunity to be a physician. So this is not like the undergraduate world where you could say, well, okay, if you don't go to Harvard, you can go to you know someplace else that's very good. And, and these days, of course, going to Harvard may be even more problematic. But um, but in medical school, that's not the case. If, if people don't get into medical school, they're not going to have a chance to become physicians. So it's really important that for the benefit of patients that only the best and most capable people get to be doctors. And I couldn't care whether the entire class at Penn was Asian or black or whatever. It doesn't matter. What matters is as individuals how uh, capable they are. If you're a patient, you just want to make sure that the doctor knows what they're doing and their hands are steady and they can actually perform the surgery or the procedure. You don't really care what equity program they came through. And I think that that's, um, I don't think a lot of people realize just how indoctrination has affected the entry and exit levels of, of the, the doctors coming out of medical schools. It's um, it's something that I think you've done more to illuminate than almost anyone I know right now. As you step back right now and you look at um, the mindset, I think you had an op-ed uh, in the last few days that kind of um, jumped on this, the critical race theory, DEI. There are some of these indoctrinations that come out of these liberal think tanks or these liberal nonprofits, and then they're injected into places where they probably aren't bringing any value to the debate. But uh, you did, a, I thought, a very important 
a piece of work of tiring, tying critical race theory to the rise of anti-Semitism on college campuses and medical schools and other places. Uh, first off, before we get to the op-ed, uh, there has been a pretty large increase in anti-Semitism in the U.S. medicine business, right? You had a report on that earlier this year, didn't you? Yes, that's right. Uh, this, the same researchers I talked about before, our group published a report showing that, you know, institutions like something like... Um, percent of medical associations and 45% of medical schools had something to say when Ukraine was invaded by Russia, supporting Ukraine. When it came time to Israel being attacked by the terrorists of Hamas, 11% of medical associations and only 3% of medical schools had anything to say about Israel in support. So it's a dramatic difference. And, you know, suddenly it became, you know, because Israel is a, is a Jewish state, um, that changed the dynamic and gave uh, permission to, uh, I wouldn't say that they're indifferent, but their inability to, to speak morally and clearly about what clearly is a, a, a terrible um, a terrible result. And this doesn't speak about in, in Israel's actions in Palestine, in Gaza, and the war. And this was immediately in the aftermath of this horrible terrorist attack that I think most normal individuals would find just absolutely abhorrent. Yeah, and uh, the the nature of the injuries, the nature of, uh, of I mean, a, a horror for any practitioner of medicine. Yet the silence um, was was pretty deafening to a lot of people. Um, how did we get to this point? And what is the infusion of critical race theory done to tip the balance in? the debate so that people now are not executing necessarily medical agendas or academic agendas. They're, they're carrying out uh, ideological agendas in places where that wasn't intended. Yeah, I think this is very important. So, you know, the sort of the philosophical basis of critical race theory is we need to look at individuals as members of groups. We, need, we, can't, we shouldn't look at them as individuals, but as members of groups, groups that were either oppressed which represents everyone but white people, or the oppressor, which mostly represents white people. And in this dynamic, the people who are oppressed really can do no wrong in, in, the, in this philosophical view, and the oppressors can do no, no right. So, in, so, that's, so the, the implementation of critical race theory is really the diversity, equity, and inclusion world, which says, for example, we need to treat black individuals who come into the doctor's office as members of a group and not as individuals with individual stories and individual problems. And in terms of anti-Semitism, it's come that, you know, Israel is an oppressive state oppressing the Palestinians. Jews are now viewed as white <laughs> as opposed to individuals, some of whom are white, some of whom are dark. There are Jews from Ethiopia who are you know, black people, and there are Jews from, you know, Eastern Europe who are, are white people. And it's a, it's a great variety in Israel, but yet Israel is viewed as the oppressor here, and, and the Palestine, Palestinians are viewed as the oppressed. And this gives the whole world of the left, predominantly, the permission to uh, attack Israelis and Jews because they're oppressors. And in this new morality, it doesn't matter what's right and what's wrong. It only matters of what the power dynamics are between groups. And, and you know, this leads to evil being acceptable because it, it justifies the sorts of things that Hamas did on October 7th because they're responding to so-called oppression that they've been under. 
forgetting the fact that Gaza was has not been occupied by by the Israelis, forgetting about the fact that instead of investing their money in um, in, in developing the economy there, they've invested their money in tunnels and, and rockets. And um, you know, there's been sort of an avoidance of the reality of the situation. But anyway, in terms of anti-Semitism, that's the problem. Now Jews have been accused now of, of being have gotten their their success ill through ill-gotten means and mostly because they're mostly white and therefore they've been oppressing people. So a critical race theory is really the philosophical underpinnings of what we're seeing with anti-Semitism. And I'm even willing to give, to give the students that have been parading around the benefit of the doubt. I don't know that they actually hate Jews as much as the ones who are really advocating for this are just going down this diversity rabbit hole of thinking that anybody who they conceive of as an oppressor is not worthy of human kindness or being dealt with in any sort of a Judean-Christian sense of values. Yeah, it's pretty head-scratching. There's no medical or scientific basics to believe that one's skin color determines whether you're an oppressor or not, right? No, of course not. It's ridiculous. And, you know, in my book that I mentioned before, I talk about black physicians, for example, that rose to the highest levels of the profession 30, 25, 30 years ago. I mean, the idea that there are black people who want to go to medical school and are not being accepted on basis of skin color is just absolutely nonsense. And in fact, there are people are bending over as much as they can to figure out ways to increase the number of black students who enter into medical school. I'm personally opposed to that. I think every, uh, every qualified black student should have as much chance as anyone else to get into medical school and no one should be given a leg up because of of, of their skin color or any other immutable characteristic that they can't really do anything about. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Somehow equality got replaced with equity and uh, equal outcomes instead of equal opportunity. And I think that uh, that that um, that dynamic has uh, really had a profound effect on uh, the ideology of the academic world for quite some time. A lot of people listening to this, and what I like about what you do, Doctor, is that you aren't just there to highlight the problems. You're working on solutions. So when you look at it from a medical school perspective or step back and say the entire academic world, what are some of the solutions that has a potential to right this ship? Because right now it feels like the ship is tilting in a very bad direction. Yeah, so our organization has sort of focused on action as much as talk. I mean, we like to talk and we like to have opportunities like this kind of show to let people know what our thoughts are. But we've been very active, particularly at the state level, because healthcare and education is really regulated at the state level. And our organization has been helping sponsor legislation around the country. Um, and, and in the space of the, of the so-called DEI world, what we've done is we've pushed legislation that's now been enacted in a number of Midwestern states like uh, Tennessee and Kansas and, uh, and Texas. Um, and, and I recently was testifying in Ohio about this, about bills that will ban so-called DEI in uh, higher education. Now, what this means is that professors are not, are not forced to write diversity statements or to adhere to diversity as a goal in their education and in their career development, but rather will focus on merit and having the best people as possible to be, uh, you know, enter schools and, and also to, in terms of doing their research. It fights against demanding that physicians take implicit bias courses in order to get uh, their licensure renewed. We've been pushing back against that because we know these courses don't work. There, and the idea that physicians are treating patients differently based on skin color 
is really a faulty idea that hasn't been proven in any way, shape, or form uh, as an explanation for healthcare outcome disparities. Um, there are bills that try to control the spending that goes on at state universities, particularly. A place like you know Michigan has spent $85 million over the last five years on the diversity programs in, in the University of Michigan. And this doesn't accomplish anything. So these bills, these bills have um, that we've been helping sponsor have, uh, you know, told these universities, you know, you can't spend money on these issues anymore. Spend money on educating the students and not indoctrinating them. And we've been, of course, as I mentioned before, particularly active in the space of uh, trying to stop children from undergoing these gender transitions. Again, adults do whatever they want, but we believe that the medical literature, the scientific literature clearly shows that this is a terrible error. Multiple European countries have now come out against the way the United States is handling this problem, and it, it really is a medical scandal. Wow, amazing that. And uh, it's hard to find any coverage in the mainstream media. That's one of the other things is that these universities, these pharmaceutical companies, these um, medical schools and, and their portrayers, they are able to keep this conversation from drifting in the direction that you and I are talking about, which is restoring it to meritocracy. And um, it, uh, it's really disserving the entire country without having this debate out and open. Dr. Gofarb, what's the best way for people who want to engage in the Do No Harm Medicine movement? What's the, how do they stay in touch with you, follow the great work you're doing, get involved if they think they can be influential in their community and making a difference? Sure. As you mentioned earlier, and thank you for that, it, our website is donoharmmedicine.org. And we have over 6,000 members now, physicians as well as concerned patients and others who have interacted with us. They give us so-called tips, you know, information about schools, about what they're observing. And we've acted on those. We've had a number of lawsuits that we filed when people told us about discriminatory practices. We've been successful in several of them. So our our focus is on getting things done, either through the legal system or through the legislative system. And that's where we're really putting all of our efforts. Do no harm and get things done. That's a pretty good combination. I think a lot of people are nodding their heads saying, I, I want to be part of this. Doctor, what a great honor to have you on. We want to make this a regular occurrence because I think what you're doing is one of the most defining missions that we have in getting some common sense back into medicine right now. What a, what a great opportunity to spend some time with you today. Thank you, John. Really appreciate it. Yeah, same here. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back to wrap things up right after these messages. Hey, folks, it's John Solomon here. Today, I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors, but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out by not only advocating for senior issues, but also by pushing for conservative values that affect us all. By joining, you're not just supporting our senior citizens, you're part of a movement defending the freedoms that made this country great and to ensure that we secure our nation's future. Plus, membership brings you exclusive benefits like discounts on travel, dining and entertainment, and of course, special insurance rates, one of the things I like. Regardless of your age, if you're driven to preserve freedom, AMAC welcomes you. This is about uniting youthful vigor with the wisdom of experience and our quest to keep this country great. Sign up now for amac.us slash justnews. And for a limited time, you get a free gift membership for someone else who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews and extend the invitation to a friend 
or a family member for free. What a great opportunity. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. A big thank you to Marjorie Taylor Green and to Dr. Stanley Goldfarb, two very insightful interviews with a lot of news in them, a lot of food for thought. Of course, also a big thank you to our sponsors, AMAC among them, amac.us slash just news. Go there and sign up for a membership today. You'll be surrounded by like-minded family members in America who share your view of a conservative, fiscally responsible, and common sense America, something that often seems to be missing from the conversations today. All right, that wraps up today's edition. A big thank you to all the guests and a big thank you to you for listening and reading all the great news at justinews.com. If you want, go to the Apple and Android app stores and download the Justin News app. It's a great way to read, to listen, and to watch Justin News content, three-dimensional way to engage just the news that are available in both stores all right we'll be back tomorrow with another edition until then god bless you and have a great night history economics the great works of literature the meaning of the u.s constitution did you study these things in school probably not or even if you did like i did maybe it's time for a refresher time and technology have changed a lot of things but they have not changed basic fundamental truths about the world and our place in it as america That's why I'm so excited that Hillsdale College is offering more than 40 free online courses in the most important and enduring subject. You can learn about the works of C.S. Lewis, the stories in the book of Genesis, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution, the rise and fall of the Roman Republic, or the history of the ancient Christian church with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, you heard me, for free. You don't get anything free in the Biden economy today. I personally recommend you sign up for the American Citizenship and its Decline. It's with my good friend, the great historian, Victor Davis Hanson. In this eight-lecture course, VDH, as I like to call him, explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. So start your free course, American Citizenship and Its Decline, with my good friend, Victor Davis Hanson, today. How do you do that? Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash justnews to start. It's free, and it's easy to get started, and it's an easy URL to remember. All you got to do, go to hillsdale.edu slash justnews. One more time, hillsdale.edu slash justnews. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out 
Higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friend who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group. Text Just News to 989898 98 98 right now. 